Howdy Meeps, welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Hello, hello, hello. Our guest today is the wonderful Helena Capel, and we are going to welcome her to the show. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, Za, you have two of them. Uh, your game design duffs and, and what's going on in your your game design realm right now? Okay, uh, I am Helena. I own and run Kids Table Board Gaming and Burnt Island Games. I actually am a teacher. I have taken this year off to try to see what it's like to only have one job, and I'm actually I'm loving it. I feel like it it's my passion and and it's the thing that I should be doing right now. At the moment, we are on the cusp of running another Kickstarter campaign for our Burnt Island Games company. It's by Jay Cormier and Graham Johns. It's I have no idea In who those Hall people are. King. <laughs> no idea what that game is either. Uh, and uh, yes, you helped me find it. Thank you, Sen. And uh, we also are about to deliver our last Kids Table campaign, which is Rec Raiders, and we have... Bugs on Rugs up for pre-order, and those are going to be delivering in about a month, which is really exciting. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff going on right now. Right. Yeah. Before we, we pass on to talk about uh, other things, I just wanted to know, so Bugs on Rugs is going to be your first direct-to-store thing, correct? Correct. Correct. Like pre-orders never... and things like that. Yeah, why? Right. What's, 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 what's this new thing? Why? <laughs> as much as I love the grind of Kickstarter, Really? Um, you love no. it? <laughs> no, I don't actually. Uh, being incredibly sarcastic. Well, I do. There are things about it that I love. Uh, I love the I love the craziness of it. It's it's exhilarating. But beyond that, I really feel like if if I can do both, if I can have a Kickstarter or two a year for each of my companies, and also have a game or two a year that I go directly to retail, I'll get more out. If I have to wait for Kickstarters or work on Kickstarters, it, it, it takes a lot more work. And I believe that there are certain kind of kinds of games that don't necessarily fit like the Kickstarter mold. And first of all, it's really hard to sell a kids game or family game on Kickstarter because most of the people going to Kickstarter aren't looking for the, for games for other people. They're looking for games for themselves. So that's number one. Number two, games like Bugs on Rugs, which is going to retail for $12 US. It's, it's a hard sell on Kickstarter. And I could have 10,000 backers and, and be very, my, our funding can be very low. So there's also perception with that as right. well. So it, this game in particular doesn't lend itself well. We knew we wanted to publish it. I was really excited when I got it. And I I kind of knew it just it wasn't going to fit the Kickstarter mold for us and, and for people who go to Kickstarter to back in. Okay. So Bugs on Rugs pre-order now. How, did they, how would people do that if they wanted it? You can go to our website, um, which is kidstablebg.com. Or you can actually look up the Rec Raiders backer kit. You can just Google that and you can pre-order from, from there. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. So um, about this uh, 
other game that you have. I don't even know what it's called. Halls of the Queens of the Hills. I don't remember. <laughs> That's for Burnt Island, correct? Correct. Right. So, so we're we, not going to talk about it at all. We don't want to talk about right. it at all. I'm going to talk about it for a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have, I'm just going to push my way in there. We have sure. two brands. One is for family games. So that's where Kids Table comes in. And we wanted to start making some more strategy games that just didn't really fit under the umbrella of kids games. So when we came out with Endeavor and decided that we were going to do Endeavor Age of Sail, I realized that I probably needed to start a second brand. And I started this second brand. And what I love so much about Endeavor is the fact that it's a midweight game. It's really easy to learn, but it's very thinky as well. And so that sort of started me off on this path with, I think those are the kind of games that I want to make. So this new game in the Hall of the Mountain Kings is going to Kickstarter on February 5th. And it's one of those midweight, very, very, very easy to learn, difficult to master, lots of fun, lots of lots of thinky things going on. So mm-hmm. we're, we're really excited about it. Cool, cool. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll bring Graham and Jay on sometime to talk about yeah. the design of it at, at some point. Let's move on. Let's see what's going on here. So what have we played lately? Uh, Jesse, I know that you were thinking about it, but what did you come up with? <laughs> I can't remember. I played something new last Thursday and I can't remember. So that doesn't bode well. <laughs> but I mean, so there are a couple of things that I have played since the last time we had this conversation that I could flag. <laughs> so first of all, I we started and finished Betrayal Legacy and I can rant about that for hours. So if anybody wants me to rant at them about Betrayal Legacy, hit me up on Facebook. I also got the chance to play Dragon's Castle which is a like lightweight game that uses mahjong tiles and it's right. yeah and it, it's really fun um it's okay. really interesting it's just, so i think it's actually a pretty good like gateway level intro experience but there's also room for like overthinking it and taking 10 minutes on a turn that should take one minute as you would is, expect is that because there's open to learn. information yes yeah, i thought so yeah which usually ruins me uh, i also <laughs> played Seven Swords, which is a game, Helena and I, it's a two-player game that I got years ago and I loved it. And there's actually like a really fun experience as a designer of going back to something that you loved um, from several years ago because it's got some great elements to it, but it's just, there's so much room for this game to be excellent and it's just good. And so Helena and I have been thinking about it as something of a, a design exercise. Like what would we do to turn the good ideas in this game into something great? Um, I think that's actually a really good idea that. for a whole show. Yes, yeah, amazing. I yeah. love that. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite shows, I think I was talking about it with, I don't know who, but it was a podcast that would, it was, their episode was like XXX, whatever they called it, and then six months later. And they would review the game that they reviewed six months ago oh. and see mm. if it was any good still. Like, did it stand up to what they thought it was at the time? Um, and it was a really neat experience to hear what they thought of, because they did one of a couple of our games. So uh, I was listening to Belfort, and they said, "Yeah, we really liked it." And they would play, and I they would play snippets of what they thought first, and then they would talk about their most recent playthrough of it and how it stood up or didn't. Uh, in the case of Belfort, thankfully it did, which is great. Um, so uh, H, what have you played lately? Um, well, I mean. Typically, I'm only playing prototypes, but my kids won't 
stand for that. You know, we'll we'll play a prototype with them to find out if they like it. You know, that's sort of how we gauge whether or not we should be publishing a game. And it usually is like two thirds of the way through the game where they're like, need to stop or or we need to move on to another game. Try very hard not to be playing too many prototypes with our kids. But one of the prototypes we've been playing a lot of right now is our next kids table game. I can't really say too much about it because it's going to be announced very soon, but it's very exciting. It's about dinosaurs and Ooh. digging for bones, but that's all yeah. I'll say right now. Um, oh, that's, yeah. That's been it's really, that one. I've played yeah, that. that one. So we're really excited about it. But in terms of like published games, we've been getting a lot of gizmos to the table lately and I love Azul. And anytime I get a chance to play it, I will play it, especially because usually our games are two-player, and it's right. really one of the only games that I like playing two-player. So. Hmm. Interessant, interessant. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. see what I've... I, I've been playing this, Chronicles oh, of Prime. Nice. Uh, it is. This is this is don't be don't be you can play it when you come. This is a uh, this is the slip cover for the the Kickstarter edition. Uh, but they just released or are just releasing the noir content. I am a huge fan of noir film and and stuff like that and you know gritty pulpy detective novels. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I'll be playing it even more. So thank you, Lucky Duck. That's a great great game. A really impl- really well implemented game with technology and flavor and gameplay my wife enjoys it and that's the number one thing that i need is for like somebody else to play it with because i'm not a solo gamer uh so i really enjoy playing games with people uh that covers all of us which is great and oh by the way um uh hopefully you'll notice that there's somebody missing from this conglomerate and that's uh, erica and we'd like to wish her well as she is suffering from an illness. So that's why she's not here tonight. If you have any questions for our wonderful guest, uh, or Jesse or myself, we're not as wonderful as Helena. But if you do have questions for us, please do put it into the comments down below and we will get to it. We'll shoot your Mm -hmm. question up on screen and that'll be great. While we're doing that, while we're carrying on with the show, Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you all a question. So I'm gonna put it in the comments. If you have an answer, write it into the comments and we'll pop your answer up. My question to everybody who's watching is, what is your favorite, I'm typing this out as I'm talking, which is why I'm talking slow, favorite, spelled like a Canadian, um, kids game. The extra you in there? Yes, from your childhood. I want to know what game you loved from your childhood. So please answer that question and we'll shoot your answers up on the board. I mean, you got the you without even being a Kickstarter backer. Um, right. <laughs> I do have that you as well. So, so uh-huh. yeah. Uh, Sorry, one well, second, Jess. We're getting asked this question. Good rant or bad? <laughs> oh, about Betrayal? Com- yeah, yeah, it's yeah. complicated, Zach. But to make it simple, Betrayal Legacy is true to betrayal oh so it's truly a betrayal experience take that as you will okay cool so let's go on to designing for kids so designing for kids what is the key you think uh helena because you're you're kind of the expert in this group i have a kids game i you know i do developmental psychology i'm a pediatric therapist so i know lots about kids However, I don't really design games for them, which is kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. What is what is the key, you think? I Actually, it's a couple of things. One is not to underestimate the abilities of, of kids learning how to play a game. When I go to Toys R Us or 
most toy stores and I look at what the kids' games are, they're really toys. They're not right. games. And I think that a lot of a lot of kids can do more than just play with a toy and, yeah. and you know, watch a piece of poo shoot out of a, a toilet and catch it with their hands. So I think number one is to not underestimate what kids can do when they're playing. And number two is to make it interesting. When you're designing for kids, I think it's important to actually, and, and I don't do this when I'm, I'm looking at strategy games for adults, but I think it's important to look at the theme first before you start looking at mechanisms. Because when you have a theme that's engaging, you can find mechanisms that can sort of fall into place. It's really start with the kids and, you know, the level that you want to design for. And, and typically our age is about six, to six or eight and up. And, uh, and then also really having games that are engaging by way of having real mechanisms like our games have worker placement. Recreators is like, it's based on that. It's dice drafting, you know, things that adults are playing. But I really think, and and what our um, company is based on is having the adults that are playing with the kids being able to be engaged in the play. Because once you have an adult that's excited to be playing your game, the kids are going to be more excited to play your game. And the so, adults have the money. They got the that's it. The, the adults have the Filthy money. It's, it's very true. It's very true. And then the last thing is, I really think that it's important to be able to create games that are scalable. So mm-hmm. some kids' games, they'll play for a month or two, and then they'll never look at them again because they've grown out of it. They, they learned how to play it. They got through it. They did well, and they, they're going to move on. Right. When you create a game that's scalable, you can have a very low level entry point and then build on it. Um, and when you build on it, once kids get better at the game, you throw something else into it and, and it makes it like it's a new game again. Or, I think that's you a know, really, you know really good play point. Game. Really, really good point. And before yeah. we get to what I, my, my not rebuttal, but my response to that or my continuation of that, Zach Connolly asked, is there a significant difference between kids game and family game? For you, from kids for me, there game. for me there is a huge uh, a huge difference, and and I actually think sometimes that we could have named our company a little bit better. Um, the fact that we have the name Kids in in the uh, name of the company connotes to some people. I think sometimes that we make kids games. The difference between them is that. Kids' games can be played by kids on their own without any further instruction, without, you know, it's like maybe you're doing one thing the whole game. Like uh, Hungry Hippos, you know, you, you, you play once, you know how to play, you can leave your kids on the carpet to, to go play by themselves. Family games really brings everybody in at different levels. So it can be for young sure. and old, yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. Yeah. enjoying themselves and, and having an experience that is makes them want to come back for more. Okay. So the, Excellent. This, feels like a, this feels like a good spot also to, to carry on this discussion about adults and kids playing together. Um, Eric Slauson had a question. Uh, that he raised yesterday. Do you find that kids games often need an adult present or family games need an adult present to be a kind of referee or make sure no cheating happens or make sure the rules are followed closely? Or is the adult optional? Um, Well, I mean, I ideally like to make games that kids can play on their own. And again, that's where that scalability comes in. 
where you can play like food fighters, for example, our first game is a battle game and you're playing meats against veggies. And at the very core of the game, you're really just choosing what you want to attack. You're rolling the dice and seeing if you're able to knock that that fighter out. But we have added in player powers. And once you start playing with the player powers, there are a lot of decisions that you need to make. Um, so two kids who are inexperienced that maybe know how to play the game can go off on their own and play the game. But when you get a little bit deeper into the strategy, yeah, you probably need an adult there to be with you. Hmm, interesting. Or in the case of my kids, you just need to you know, destroy them severely so they never try to beat you at Food Fighters again. <laughs> that is all my kids do, though, by the way, is try to beat Josh. They do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> ah, that's too funny. Uh, okay, so back my point about what Helena was saying about adding new layers to kids' game. <clears throat> As in developmental psychology, I think I've raised this point on the show before, is that kids and milestones are like these really short periods of time. And as a teacher, H, you'll know that, you know, a, the difference between one year, uh, like grade one of school and grade two of school is super vast in yeah. terms of what a child yeah. is capable of. And we have these very small windows. And for those of us who design for, you know, primarily adults, it's like that window never closes. Because as soon as they hit around, you know, 18, it's not that development is done. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of development. But the cognitive skills and, and the reasoning skills and all that kind of stuff, the mathematical stuff, that's done pretty much. And so we can build a game that lasts for people until from, you know, maybe 16, 12, depending on the level of the game, all the way to 99. But if you say a game is for, you know, a five to six-year-old strictly that developmental range by the time they're you know some of them are five and a half they'll be done right so you got six months out of the game way to go uh and so i i really do think that your idea of adding layers to kids games is a good one and it kind of goes against some of the trends that you know uh myself even, even i have i've said this gavin and i think that if you're going to present a game present the best possible game that you can and variants and all that kind of stuff you know maybe even don't bother with them but mm -hmm. I think the flip is true for kids that they need yep. those types of things to make that lifespan of that game, you know, last a little longer. Oh, look, we have oh, another and, we have another teacher. And, one second, keep going. One of the, one of the things, and you mentioned it before, is the 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 parents have money, right? They have the money; they're going to buy the games. Our games are not inexpensive. No, um, it, they're like thirty, forty dollars in the store, and. I know for myself, if I'm going to buy something for my kids that's 30 or $40, I don't want one or two plays from it. I want five, 10 years of playing to come out of that because that's how much I spend on games for myself. Right. So if I'm buying a game that I know will start them off easy and in two years I can add something to it and then I can add more to it in another couple of years, I'm much happier to spend that $40. Right. Is that a is that a strict marketing plan that you have? Is that something that you always try to add to your designs? I don't for kids table, I don't want to make games that cannot be played by younger kids and also older kids. I, I don't want anyone to feel bored when they're playing our games. Hmm. So I, I try very hard to design that way. And then, you know, when we're looking at other people's games to publish that 
if there if there isn't any of that in the game, I'll try to add something to, you know, it has to work with the game, obviously. But I won't publish a game that is not scalable, and I won't publish a game that won't allow me to market it as scalable. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, Kathleen yeah. Mercury, who is also a, a teacher, elementary school teacher of Gifted Kids, uh, she is asking you, hey, Helena, it's Kathleen Mercury. Uh, that has a hey, whole Kathleen. bunch of 7M. I know. I teach game design to kids. What do you think is important for kids as they learn about games in order to design them? Good question. So, Kathleen, I've been following you. I don't know if you know this, but I've been following you for a very long time with your game design with your students. And uh, I have also been designing games with my students for about 15 years. So it's come a very long way, and obviously I'm not doing that now because I'm not teaching this year. But one of the things that I think is most important is to be able to play already published games, take a look at what their mechanisms are, have an idea and discussion about what was engaging about the game and what was not fair about the game, because I find a lot of kids' games are not fair for reasons like, you know, you it's not strategy, you're just doing the thing, rolling the dice and moving the pawn. But I think it's really important to have that discussion with them, allow them to be playing games, see what's out there and come up with what are the things that are interesting to them. And I typically find that students will design a game that's very, very similar to a game that they like very much. And I think that's a really amazing step to being able to design a game on their own because there's always something tiny bit innovative about it. I hope that answers that question. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that. Well, while we're on the topic of games in the classroom, um, Michael Murray had asked you if when you were teaching, were there any games that you used in teaching, like actual published games that played a role in your class? I absolutely. Um, there were always games out all the time. I have... I have taught from kindergarten to grade eight, and I have taught every single subject area. One of the things that I do at the beginning of the year is use a co-op game, and it's always, oh my god, now I'm forgetting the name of it. Let's guess. Hanabi? Oh my god, no, the the island one. Oh, Forbidden That's Island. Co-op. Yes, Forbidden Island, sorry. So I Pandemic on an that. island. <laughs> right. So I always use that as an example of everyone having their own skills and bringing them to the table and working together as a group. So that is a main part and main focus of the beginning of the school year. And kids play that game for two weeks straight. They have you ever told Matt that? Just um, I don't know if I have, actually. You totally should. <laughs> it's so amazing because since I started doing that, I have found that kids work much better in groups together. It's really amazing. So I use it, I use that game for the social aspect. I, for many, many years, used Catan for obviously dice probability, but also for looking at the number of cards in the deck and uh, doing fractions and decimals with that. We use Sushi Go for like just plain out straight math. I'm excited for Bugs on Rugs because it's, it's pretty mathy and there's a lot of graphics in it and it's really good for doing media studies so there's a lot of there are a lot of games out there that can be used that i do use um i i have like a very long list i i tend to think that educational games are really crappy and so mm -hmm. what i do is i I look for the education in the games that are already existing that are good games good okay 
And I, I, I don't, I don't uh, disagree at all. Uh, we have another question from the audience here. I'm going to pop, pop it up. It's from Shem. Uh, Shem Phillips is the designer behind all the Raiders and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome designer. Uh, question for later. Awesome later designer. Apparently now, uh, how do you approach game design for kids? Yeah. We already talked about that a little bit, but he has a very specific question. Do you think of ways to simplify mechanisms for more complex games, or is it better to start with a simple mechanism and build from there? What's your opinion, Helena? <laughs> Um, well, I think that there are many mechanisms that lend themselves to to kids' games. I was mentioning before Rec Raiders, uh, dice drafting, that, that's a pretty simple mechanism, but it can get much deeper if you want to think about it a little bit more. You can use strategy or you can just pull a dice out of whatever it is you're drafting from. Um, and worker placement. Rec is a worker placement game. So, you know, there are certain certain mechanisms that are simple at their core that work well for uh, for kids games. Uh, set collection also, for example, like that. You find a lot of kids games that are set collection games. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. works well for kids. Um, you know, other things like engine building. I don't know that that is something that I would spend too much time on creating a game about but maybe i would borrow some ideas for engine building to create a game for kids so yes i guess i i start with more simple mechanisms or i take more complex mechanisms and parse them down a little bit jess do you have a question i can ask one (laughs) so uh uh, eric slosson had another question for you man that guy i know Eric's awesome. So uh, from a design perspective, how important is the art when you get a prototype for a kid's game? Should designers try to get as close to adorable or the sort of vision for the game that they imagine so that you can get a sense of the table presence it could have? Um, I guess this is more of a a pitching, developing question than it is a final product question. So for me, actually, because, well, Josh is an artist, and I'm I'm pretty artsy myself. It's actually distracting to me to get a game that's got too much art in it. And the reason that is because I like to envision what the art is going to look like. And if the art is really bad, or if I don't particularly like that art, I'm going to probably have less of a good time playing the prototype than I would if there was less art. I'm not mm. saying that I don't think that it's important what I do think is important is a semblance of graphic design. You know, so if you're if you're going to have cards and they're the whole card is filled with text, to me that's mm-hmm. a difficult thing to to play with, especially for family. So if you can find a way to uh, do a bit of graphic design, have less text but not too much art, then I think that think that for me at least, uh, you have a better chance of me enjoying the game, playing it as a prototype. Okay, I don't cool. know. What do you like? I know. I, I mean, I agree. Unless it's unless it's table presence in terms of this, like a three D constructed thing, like well, David's yeah. game that you're talking about, that the dinosaur right. bones, that that as soon as I saw it, I said you should go show them over there because they will do something. With it, right? <laughs> That's so oh, exciting. It is exciting. Uh, I didn't anyway, realize it was yeah. that game. Do you know that game, Jess? I do. How do you know that one? I have stopped stop talking about it. <laughs> it's okay. We're not saying anything. It's all hype. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you see yeah. a cell sheet or something? No, I saw the prototype. I don't know. I it was years ago. Somewhere. No, I don't think you've seen this one. It's a different person. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I'm so uh, excited. Game like that out there? Still excited. No. Okay, cool. Question from Zach Connolly. What is your take on catch-up mechanisms in kids' games? I think this is a great question. I think they're fantastic. Okay, why? I There's like nothing worse than watching my five-year-old child sitting in front of me bawling their eyes out because I'm creaming them in a game. It's heartbreaking. And I don't, I really don't enjoy pretending that I'm not doing well in a game just to make my kids feel well. I, I don't like that. I don't, I won't do that. I'm going to play a game the way it's meant to be played. And I expect my children to do that as well. At the Rules same time, that's right. Exactly. Sink or swim. At the same time, a bit of a catch up mechanism is, is like, it, it makes things a little bit easier for kids. Our, our game that we um, published by Scott Alms, Problem Picnic, has a bunch of them in it because it's a dexterity game. And when you have adults playing with kids, most of the time, the adults are going to do better than the kids are. So because of that, we've got some catch-up mechanisms. Some games don't need because them. Because we have fully formed wrist bones. Just just a little That's hint. That's right. Yeah. Totally is. Silly kids with their non-ossified wrists. Um, By the way, my kids are like way better at problem picnic than I am. So I'm the one that needs to catch up mechanism. See, and they don't hurt you either, right? That's true. Yes, it's true. What do you guys think about catch up mechanisms? Oh, I think they're perfectly oh. fine. Uh, I love them for the reason that you said. I don't want to not play by the rules. I don't want to fake that I'm losing something that I'm really not losing at. I don't want to make suboptimal plays because I actually want to teach my kids how to play the game well so that they can actually beat me with strategy and tactics, you know, like any other game player. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. so when there's catch-up mechanics, it allows them to stay engaged in the actual gameplay. Mm -hmm. Like, you want them close enough that they think they have a fighting chance, even though I am going to crush them. I mean... It's, no, it's not a catch-up mechanism if they don't actually have a yeah. fighting chance. I mean, let's, let's face it, I am going to crush um, them because I'm their dad. I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I think they're great even in non-kids games. I yeah, think exactly, designers right? can underestimate them, right? Um, they add a different texture to the end game when it's an asymmetric skill gap or luck happened to favor mm -hmm. one player or another, where instead of having two people that are running right for the finish line, you've got one person at the finish line and one person who's trying to strap a rocket pack to their back and see if they can blast to a win. It's just it gives an opportunity for a game to be an exciting experience, no matter how it comes out at the end. So uh, David, yeah. David, our friend David has a question. How do you, or maybe you don't, approach the game design to keep it engaging for kids? So I, th I think catch-up mechanics is a good answer to that. You keep them in the points race. Yeah. Is there anything else? People like, oh, of course. I'm sure there's more stuff. What do you think, Helena? What have you guys done um, on any of the designs that we know of <clears throat> that we can talk about? Well, uh, one of the things... <laughs> One of the things that's really huge is not having too much time between turns. Right. If, if, if somebody's waiting around to have their turn, you know, maybe you give them a couple of seconds to think about something. But if, if the time between turns is too long, then they're done. So uh, that's number one. Number two, I think if you have really engaging art in your game, that's going to also keep kids engaged um, when you have lots of inter interesting things to look at. So for example, in Haunt the House, got all these rooms and all of these ghost hunters, and they're all very interesting to look at. And it's a very beautiful game. So um, when that you are in, in between turns, that's, that's basically, and it glows in the dark, which is also really cool. Although you cannot play the game in the dark. So 
there's that. But I, I think that if you've got a fast-paced game, then it, it's going to keep kids engaged. I also think games that are not too much longer than half an hour to 45 minutes, I think that that's a good time period for like our type of strategy games that we have for kids. And also things that are fun to do in the game. Um, in Recreators, you've got the dice drafting, but you're actually rolling the dice into a dice pool and seeing where they land and drafting them based on where they actually physically land, not just the number that's showing up on them. So that kind of thing is really fun too. Really cool. Uh, we have a question from Niles. Niles Breacher says, how can you identify if a game you're working on might be a good fit as a kid's game or should you design your kids as a kid's game from the get-go? If that's what you're looking for. What do you think? Uh, I, I I think it can go either way. I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't, ever see myself designing a full game, a full adult strategy game. I have more fun when I'm working on kids games. So I always start with that. But sometimes you design a game that turns into a kids game. So like the one time I did try to design a, a an adult strategy game, it became a kids game. It became a family game. So that's, hmm. that's just the way it rolls. You I mean, with game design, I think that you have to be very flexible with it and, and roll with it. And if you try too hard to fit your game into one type of one type of game and it ends up being a different type of game, you should be okay with that. Excellent. Uh, Jesse, are there other questions from the web page? I'm, I'm... Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we might as well just finish them off and then we're, yeah. we're, then we're free to ask our questions. Um, sure. So the last, the, the, this is circling back to the, um, actually, no, this is this is about design process, perfect. So Michael Murray was asking how your perspective as an educator affects your design process. Well, you know, just like Sen, I know a little bit of developmental psychology. So I, I kind of know what kids will be able to do at what stages. But I also know a lot about what interests kids. And so I think, and, you know, I talked about this a little bit before, I think theme is so important in a family game and to engage kids that if I can design games that I know will be exciting for kids, then, you know, being around them all the time sort of gives me those ideas about what, what I should be designing, the thing that they're into now. But also, like, the temperament of kids is a huge thing. And, you know, we talked about engagement and I know, again, uh, not just with my own children, but with my students, if we're staying too long between turns that, you know, kids are done. That being said, in every single one of my games, I try to make it somewhat educational, whether it's doing something that's mathy or learning something in social studies. Again, I was talking about bugs and rugs before. There are a lot of graphics in it, icons, and which is really great for, for media and communication. So I, I'm like, I can see our games as being educational. And also when I'm making them, I'm, I'm thinking about that in, in their design. So, and because I've been a generalist at, at school for so long, so I was teaching for 17 years, because I've been a generalist for so long, I can see how games can work with kids in, in all areas. Matt Connolly is currently saying that the new version of, of Perfection, you know, the game that pops up, only has mm -hmm. nine pieces. What's up with that? that I'm, I'm getting all mad here. <laughs> you, you and everybody in the comments. I yeah. mean, there's a risk right now that Eric is gone because he's thrown his laptop. It's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, oh, Zach Connolly making us all mad. <laughs> 
I was going to say, so we've talked a lot about sort of positive strategies for designing games and some of the things that you think are really essential in kids' games. Um, and I was wondering if we could, if you could, if you could flip the perspective a little bit and given all of your experience with designing kids' games and developing them, what do you think the biggest challenge is for the de for designers of kids' games? I think the biggest challenge for designing and also developing and, and getting games to market is really teaching the parents about what good games are. That I think is, is really the hardest thing that we're doing because we are all, everybody that's watching this right now and listening and, and all of the three of us are trying to get families into playing games that are good for their brains and good for their relationships with their family members. And that doesn't typically happen in a kid's game. So I think that the biggest challenge is how are you going to make it so that it's engaging for kids and also helping them to do something good for themselves. And I, I reference this all the time now because I'm just so floored about the game, but that, that poop game <laughs> with the toilet and the, and the poop flying out of it. I, I know that there is a place for it and it probably is fun for like five minutes, but that to me is not really a game. It's a toy. I want to make something that is helps kids learn. Helps interesting. Kids learn. Interesting. So here's a question that flowed right into that from Travis Magram. Hi, Travis. Um, what do you think of children's games that try to teach life lessons or moral lessons? Is that a thing that happens in kids' table board games or no? No, I, I mean, we. I think we try to stay away from that just because it's not really so interesting to me as a designer um, and a publisher. But there are other games that do that. And there, I mean, it, it works for kids in, in books. And so why not have it work for kids in in games as well? Who is it? Dan Letring is yep. uh, his next game. Uh, it's an RPG and it's about teaching moral lessons. And it looks fantastic to me. I'm excited for him and I can't wait to see where it goes. But it's not like the kind of thing that I can uh, get excited about for myself, making a game for myself. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. In fact, there are certain kids who would learn from playing a game. Uh, Niles has another question. Uh, he asks, are there any tips that you have for playtesting kids' games? I struggle to actually find kids to playtest with. Niles just uh, finished his PhD. He doesn't have kids yet, so he's not... Uh, you know, blessed with a family like you and I are. Right. Uh, but is right. there is there a way that you think, if you're designing a game that you think would be great for kids, how do they get it in front of kids to actually test? Best thing to do is find a friend that's a teacher. And <laughs> that is a really good tool. Yeah. And bring the game into school and play it with kids, teach it, and, and then actually give them a questionnaire after it. They're going to tell you everything you want to know. If you ask them the right questions, they'll tell you everything you want to know. Okay, so flow um, from that, what are the right questions? <laughs> what did you like about the game is, is number one. That's my number one question. And my number two question is always, what did you dislike about the game? And so from those two, I think you can learn a lot. And then also what was the most fun and what would you think, what do you think would make the game better? And, I, and that kind of question is a little bit higher level thinking. So 
like older kids, maybe in grade six, seven, or eight would be able to answer a question like that, maybe even grade five. But the best question to ask kids is, is what, what didn't work about this game? What sucked? Why, why didn't you have fun? Or why did you have fun? And they're very, very honest about their answers. Mm-hmm. So, is that different than how you would play test with an adult, though? No, it's not that. It's not that different. But typically, when I play test with adults, they'll give me ideas on how to how to make the game better. Kids don't actually do that unless you sort of prod them on it. Uh, interestingly, Kate Finch is saying, um, and she's she's just she's gonna kill me because I'm talking about it. But uh, she had started a, a thread in the comments just to start working through her own thoughts. But she was wondering if the mass market really approaches kids as a market, not as individuals, and a bit like animals and, and pet supply shops where they, they sell stuff for the animals, but it's rare that the stuff that they sell is actually really any good for the animals. Uh, and wondering if mass market games are like that. They're games, but are they any really are they good games? Not just mechanically good, but are they actually beneficial for those kids? And another interesting thing that you kind of mentioned when Travis mentioned, you know, moral lessons and other things. I I think, and I know Kathleen and I agree on this, uh, we talk a lot about games and education on on our other podcasts, but we had talked about the idea of, I would rather have a game where you discover the moral lesson from it, or you discover the science lesson from it, or the social concept from it, rather than a game that is specifically designed to do that. Uh, for the most mm-hmm. part, anyways, especially in an educational setting. A, because I find the ones that are educational are super heavy-handed, says the guy who designed oh, um, yeah. a heavy-handed RPG with Jesse. But anyway. It's not heavy-handed. Uh, we can talk about that later, but yes. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think, H? Are there are there games that do it better than others? Like you said, you use Forbidden Island to teach cooperation and teamwork. And essentially, that's what it's about, but it's not saying use this game to teach this no it's not and and i don't uh, like so uh, educational games they they're really bad they're really bad because it's like for example an educational math game where you roll the dice and you have to add the two dice together and then move to the spot of the number that that you get that is like doing a math sheet on a game board yeah and i don't like like doing doing a math math sheet in random order right, right exactly that's not that's not fun. But when you take a, a game that that has maybe if you're working on addition that has an aspect of it where you need to count things up, then it it makes more sense for the for the educational purposes. I want to go back a second to the um, the question about the mass market games. Yeah. Yes, I do think that they're making them just like pet toys and and pet. Stuff. I also think that they're making them for the parents who want to feel good about not letting their kids be on devices. So they're making their kids go play a game, but also at the same time, they don't have to sit there and play the game with their kids right. because they're, they're not, you know, they can go make dinner or whatever it is. So they don't feel so bad that they're leaving their kids alone by putting them on a screen. The kids are doing something that's like maybe one notch better than being on a screen. They're playing a game. And right. they can do it on their own, you know, mm-hmm. or they can like go down to the basement and, and play their game down there by themselves. Without so we're the not making games like that. No. Right. Um, and that's what I think the marketing is geared toward. You know, parents want to spend money on things that they think are good for their kids. And, you know, again, a notch better than sending them to be on a screen and that they can go 
do on their own. Right. None of so, us are making so those, it's a, it's a those kind of games. It's a it's a toyified. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I'll, there's there's a place there's a place for those sure. things. I don't think that they're all terrible because yes, they're fun. Yeah. Pie Face. The first time I played it was hysterical. I played it with adults. It was it was a lot of fun, but I never wanted to play it again. And my children right. played it one time, and and then that was it. So yeah. Hmm. Alan Gerding has a, a point that that's really interesting, and I wanted you to address it, uh, Helena. So Alan says, mm -hmm. is it more difficult? to publish games for lower age children's due to the safety hazard tests that must be run? Because I know many publishers just throw on 12 plus to avoid the hassle. Because it's not just a hassle, it's like time and cost and liability and all that kind of stuff. So what do yeah, you think? It is. Well, our first our first game, Food Fighter, was a bunch of like tiny bit. And it, it's scary when you're putting those out there, but you have to put warnings all over your box. And of course you have to do safety testing. And yes, kids can choke on the pieces in my game, but it's, it's for kids eight plus. You know, a four-year-old child could play our game, but I'm not going to put four on my game because I don't want a four-year-old child playing it because maybe they think that the bean looks really cute and looks like a real bean and then they just pop it in their mouth. I don't want that. I don't want that happening. So it, it's a bit scary. And I one of the things I, I tend to do is not make games for kids that young not because of that because that that i guess my my kids are not a, of that age so tend to make games that work for our own kids but i wouldn't go that young because of partially because of liabilities okay interesting interesting so we're totally kind of running out of time we're at seven minutes to oh, the yeah. end which is wonderful this is great uh we yes, filled up the yeah. time really nicely we didn't get off topic that much which is rare for us here on Meeple It's an achievement. It is. It's like <laughs> achievement unlocked. Look at that. Jesse, uh, what are your thoughts, Jesse, uh, on designing for kids? You had a game um, that I think would have worked well for kids at some level. Uh, Helena saw it, the photograph one, the picture one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking back, because you talked about, you know, looking back at old games, thinking about mm. now thinking back on that game that hasn't really gone anywhere since right that uh, and that's not rubbing it in that's just getting you to think about it <laughs> that uh <laughs> helena also knows and i also know we all know this game quite well what are changes that you could make to that game knowing what you know now uh from a design point uh helena maybe from a publishing point what would you say about that game if you remember it's the one where there's pictures and you put the frame on it to capture oh i do yeah I remember it. <laughs> how, how could we change it now to make it that much more kid friendly. What do you think? Jesse going first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse, go. Oh gosh, um, man, this is unexpected. So thinking, <laughs> thinking, thinking about the tools that Helena has given us tonight to analyze my the, the faults with my own design. So just so everybody knows, the design is very simple. There was murals on the table, and then what? What? It's, uh, there there's were, a picture frame. <laughs> and then you oh, and you literally you literally had polaroids uh like polaroid shaped wood pieces and you drop them onto the table and you were trying to enclose things in the frame but that, that um, wasn't a dexterity thing jess it wasn't like a drop was it yep the like original version was a drop was dexterity mm -hmm. drop yeah oh okay yeah so um i think one of the big things that the game lacked was scalability and also interesting 
strategic decision making. Um, it had neither of those two things. It was just a cute idea. And so, if Agreed. I was to go back, if I was to go back at it and try and like make well, we, it into we have a, a time machine, game, um, okay, no, I mean, go back at it now. I, oh, I would okay. go back at it and ask myself, how could I take this mechanic and turn it into something that involves a little bit of strategy, but also has this scalability property? It has the easy to learn thing, but there was no second step or third step. <laughs> Jamie Jamie Jones says, just add poo. Mm. <laughs> H, what do you think? Good. What do you think you would add to um, that or change? Well, and and that was like, I, that was pretty much my feedback. Like I, yeah. it was so much fun. We actually, the reason that I took it to play, it was because I really enjoyed playing it. But it was like, now what? You take your turn and, and now what? And so it was the depth that needed that needed some work so jesse you hit it right on the nose fun game great excellent idea um and i loved it that's the thing that for at least for kids table that would need to take it to the next level cool yeah. so get back at it jess there you go right <laughs> um, um niles is offering you suggestions he's saying perhaps it's like a hide and seek. The other player picks an object in the diagram. And so the person dropping the frame needs to figure out what the other players chose and drop it on it. I don't know. That's something Jay and I is ma are making right now, but that's okay. You can do that. Yes. That's, that's, that's yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, another game. Yeah, it's a whole other game. So, oh, look at that. We're three minutes to the end of the show. So we're going to click on this button and it tells us what to do. Oh, it says, Give a final word of advice or words uh, of advice. Uh, so H, what do you think, Helena? What are some final words of advice that you would give to the many, many people who are listening if they wanted to make a kid's game that you would think would be a good kid's game published in our current market or maybe even our market of the future? Or we've just lost Helena. She didn't want to give you any advice. She's keeping it all for herself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened there. That's definitely not true. She's given so much excellent advice tonight. <laughs> I um, know, but where'd she go? That is that is the question. I think uh, her connection must have fallen off. Hello, Peter Vaughn. One thing that uh, I, I'll talk about, just if Helena yeah. comes back, uh, is designing with your kids. Oh my God, Zach Connolly just sent me a picture of perfection with nine pieces, and now I'm scared. You were warned. You were I know, but it, by it, Jamie not it, to check that. It auto-opened. It auto-opened. Damn you, Zach Connolly. Anyway, you've got, um, you've got two minutes to talk about designing with your kids. Go. Designing with kids. Do it. If you have children and you're a game designer, why not? Get your kids involved in game design. Ethan was Ethan's always loved to design games. Uh, this is the oldest one. This is Monkey One. He has really blossomed this year, though, in terms of wanting to design an actual real game that has historicity. So he designed a game about the uh, defense of Hong Kong in World War II against the Japanese army, in which we lost. Uh, the Jap Japanese crushed um, the conglomerate, uh, well, the, the allied group of free French resistance plus the English, the Chinese, the Canadians, and the uh, Indian uh, regiments that were there. And uh, so he's making this game and it's super fun to talk to him about it and work with him. He did all the graphic design stuff. 
uh, by himself. He made, he wrote all the rules by himself. We played it. I gave him feedback. He made iterative changes. So it's just, it like warms my heart like nothing else to see my son kind of follow up in my footsteps and make a game that I would have never have thought to make. Uh, a game. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a war gamer, but he loves war games right now. So I, I'm super happy that he's doing that. Oh, Helena's back. Helena's back? There she is. Okay, we'll bring her back. Here we go. Boom. Hi. It's okay. So we'll, we'll run a little overtime just so you can give your final words of advice. Follow your dreams. <laughs> oh, really? No, really. That's my advice. I uh, seriously. Okay. Yes. And I, for you, for sure. Yes. No, my final, uh, my final words of advice are do not underestimate what kids can do and how they can play games. That's my I final that's, word. I think advice. that's great. In fact, so great. I'm going to write it onto the wall here. Do not awesome. estimate <laughs> what kids. <laughs> that's great do. advice. And also, uh, it's almost like the internet is trying to tell us that we're over time because there's connection issues going there on. There are. Sen? Uh, maybe, maybe it is. What? Do I get to offer final advice? Do it. Okay, I will. I'll offer okay, final advice. Okay, do it. Advice. Go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, when you're working with kids, uh, and when you're designing for kids, actually get kids to play test the game. I mean, mm. it sounds really ridiculous, but Niles kind of brought it up that if I don't have kids to play test games with, how do I actually know that kids are going to like it? There's no better test than putting it in front of a bunch of kids and letting them at it. And like Helena said, get them to give you feedback and they will be nice and honest. How about you, Jesse? What do you think? At least honest, maybe not nice. Hello, now Jesse. I, oh apparently, we have we're having connection problems. Okay, so I'm gonna click on this little button to say we're almost done, and we're on to keep in touch. So uh, I'll I'll cue Jesse. I'll say in the team chat, Jesse, please tell us. <laughs> it's funny how to get a hold of you. <laughs> see if he sees it let's sit here and wait until uh, i can be reached on the meeple syrup page uh as as always and any other way of reaching me is not worth it um because <laughs> i don't use twitter great uh, h how do we get a hold of you through book uh kids table board gaming or burnt island games or you can find on our website so. Excellent. So multiple websites. Do you have a Twitter handle? Kids Table BG or Burnt Island GM. Burnt Island. All right. So if you want to reach out to Helena, uh, you can reach her at those two Twitter accounts. Uh, and as always, you can reach me at Senfong Lim because that's where I am. So uh, hopefully we'll see you all here next week. Um, and next week, we are going to talk about pitching in the industry for kids' games. So um, my friend Tanya, who works for Hasbro, unfortunately couldn't make it. She'll be in Germany for an event. So we're going to try and find some other people who might help us investigate the world of this, which is pitching kids' games mass market. All right. So hopefully we'll see you guys later. Zach, that is a horrible joke. Zach, this is Zach's joke, by the way. He said, hope the rest of your night is absolute perfection. <laughs> what a loser. Oh. Anyways, okay. We'll see you all later. Keep in touch. And very nice to see Thanks, you guys. back here in seven Thank days you. for everything else. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Meeple Serum Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Serum. Hope to see you next week.